This is the Flying Field Podcast. The Flying Field Podcast is a service of rcplaneviews.com and the Flying Field blog. This is episode 114, Dynam Dynamics. This episode was produced the week of August 19th, 2012. Hello, modelers, and welcome to this edition of the Flying Field Podcast. I'm Jim Mohan. The title of this episode is Dynam Dynamics. I looked around my hangar the other day, and it dawned on me that the Dynam brand was starting to take over. I'm pretty sure those foam airplanes aren't breeding, so I started to reflect back on what was driving those purchases. As I visited with the pilots at my local flying field, I also noticed that I wasn't the only person who had added Dynam planes to his collection. They seemed to be popping up all over. With that in mind, we're going to be spending some time talking about several Dynam airplanes to help you decide if that Dynam airplane you've been looking at is worth pursuing. Before we get started, let me say that I've gotten no review models from Dynam, and I haven't written any reviews for publication. Now, if someone wanted to send me one, I'd accept, but that hasn't happened yet. My first experience with a Dynam model occurred a little more than a year ago when I got a Dynam Meteor. The Meteor is a 70mm sport jet modeled after, eh, nothing in particular. I had a 64mm home-built EDF and was looking for something a little bigger and more substantial. Since I live in Phoenix, my best source for this brand is nitroplanes.com in the LA area. I can place an order on Sunday evening and have a box at my door on Wednesday or Thursday. I was very impressed with the quality of the foam, the fit and finish, and just about everything else. I plan to add retracts to the Meteor, so I did some surgery to the model digging out some wheel wells and space for the retracts in the wings, and pulled out the nose gear steering plate in the fuselage. The Meteor is a great flyer with scale performance. What I like is that it slows down more than you'd expect for a jet on landing. In fact, I still tend to float the landings as I come in too fast. A weakness for this model is the elevator throws. Information in the discussion at RC Groups indicated that you need to remove some foam in the tail for the wire that moves the elevators to move freely. That helped some, but after a few flights I also ended up moving the attachment to the servo out to the end of the servo arm to provide more elevator movement. A good experience with the Meteor resulted in the purchase of the Dynam turbojet a couple of months later. The turbojet is modeled after the Cessna Citation. It has a pair of 64mm fans that run off 11.1 volt or 3-cell LiPo battery. Again, I mounted retracts on the turbojet. It was easier with this model as the foam parts had molded-in recesses that were accessible by just pulling out foam plugs. Again, the fit and finish of the turbojet was great. The decals were nicely done and easy to apply, and sticky. As with many inexpensive ARF EDFs, I needed to take the impeller off the fan assembly and center the motor. 
That alleviated the balance problems on one of the fan units. As with the Meteor, the turbojet flies very well. I installed the optional flaps, as I do with most of my Dynam planes, and they help slow things down for landing. The negatives on the turbojet are minor, but I've found two. First is that you have to land fast. The long, narrow wings mean that it will stall if you get too slow on landing. I've dropped a wing and ground looped a couple of times. This same thing will happen with any model, it's just that it happens at a higher airspeed for the turbojet. The other drawback is the wing spars don't go through both wings. The wings glue together and mount firmly into the fuselage. However, several modelers have reported that the wings have failed in flight while doing high-G maneuvers, turning the turbojet into a lawn dart. The solution seems to be either fly at scale or mount a carbon tube across the wings to provide more support where they join together. Dynam number three is the SR Trainer. I was looking for a project to do a video build log and the SR Trainer seemed a good choice. It was on sale one weekend, so including shipping, it arrived for under $100. The SR is turned into my warm-up plane and it goes with me to the field nearly every time I go. As with the other Dynam planes, the fit and finish was great. As with the turbojet, the decals were sticky and made the plane look nice. One of the odd things about the decals on the SR, however, was that the end numbers for the fuselage were different for both the right and the left. I just left them off. The other thing you need to be aware of on some Dynam propeller planes is that the motors have only 3mm shafts. That means it's pretty easy to either bend or to break them. One of the first landings with my SR, I struck the prop and broke the shaft. The shafts are easy to replace, but in this case the shaft broke cleanly with about a centimeter of the shaft sticking out the front. It was just enough to use a friction style prop collet. I bored out the three-bladed prop and mounted it to the new collet. The base of the collet touches the bell of the motor, so there's much less chance of bending the shaft with the collet attached. The other thing that happened with the SR was that the two fuselage mounted servos didn't work when it first arrived. I had a stash of high-tech HS55s in my shop which fit perfectly into the spaces provided. I mention this as I saw a post from someone who was complaining about the electronics in one of the Dynam models he'd received. He had gone on and on about his disappointment and the struggle he had getting free replacements for the servos from the online hobby shop from which he'd gotten the model. My thought is this. It's an inexpensive ARF. Replace him yourself. I'm sure he spent much more in email, time, and aggravation than a quick trip to his local hobby shop would have been. You have to have some realistic expectations with these inexpensive models. In my case, I had a $79 model that looked really good with two $3 servos that weren't working. No big deal. My most recent Dynam model is the T28 Trojan. The Dynam Trojan is bigger than the popular Parkzone T28 and less expensive. I got the gray version. There are several Dynam T28s at my field. I noticed an odd difference. A couple of them fly really well on the recommended 3-cell LiPo. The others, mine included, seem to just hang in the air on 3-cells. Others who have had the same issue suggested using 4-cell LiPos instead. 
I ordered a couple of 2200 milliamp hour LiPos and that made a huge difference, though I'm still curious why mine seems to want more juice. Dynam has also started including retracts on most of their models. A retract equipped turbojet came out not long after I got mine where I added the retracts. After several flights with my T28, the retracts just gave up. I don't know whether it had anything to do with my 100 plus degree garage here in Phoenix or not, but the two of the three simply quit. That also seems to be a fairly common issue. Again, I had some replacements in the shop that I had planned to use on another project and they just dropped in. Again, it's a matter of expectations. I tend to think of myself as a modeler and a hobbyist, so doing some mods or some repairs is just part of the experience. Now, if they were $300 retracts, I'd be on the phone to somebody, but they're not. It's cheap and easy to replace them. This past year, Dynam has been on a roll. They've released several new planes. All are formed from the rugged EPO foam, and they all look great. Other Dynam models at my field include the A-10 Warthog, the C-47, the SBOC 342, the Focke-Wulf 190, the AT-6 Texan, the Cessna 172 Trainer, and the Grand Cruiser or Cessna 310, just to name a few. What I find interesting is that the pilots span the range of experienced glow and gas modelers who grew up with balsa models to newbies just getting started. Dynam seems to have found a pretty broad following. The newest Dynam that I hear calling my name is the ME262 twin EDF fighter from World War II. It looks pretty sweet. Shh, don't tell my wife. The point of all this has been to give you a little unvarnished insight into these popular models. Are they perfect? No. Are they a great value? I have to say yes. If you'd like to learn more about the models I've discussed today, you can get some expanded reviews at my website, www.rcplaneviews.com, and the written blog entries at the Flying Field blog, which can be found at flyingfieldblog.rcplaneviews.com. You can also see my video build logs for the T-28, the SR Trainer, and the Turbojet on YouTube. Search for AZJIM12. That's A-Z-J-I-M-1-2. If you are looking to purchase one of these little ARFs, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you go to the show notes for this episode at the Flying Field blog, you'll find links to these models through nitroplanes.com. If you purchase from the link, I get a couple of bucks from them as an advertising associate. That helps offset some of the costs associated with the podcast. I'd like to finish up this edition of the Flying Field podcast with a little commentary on some RC-related news. One of the members at my club showed up with a very cool hexacopter the other day. The platform has six small brushless motors controlled by a small circuit that helps maintain orientation but also maintain some position awareness through GPS. It has a small GoPro-style video camera slung beneath. The copter rises into the air and maneuvers around capturing high-definition video throughout the flight. What's kind of cool is that there is a fail-safe button that stabilizes the machine about 20 feet in the air and it can return automatically to its point of liftoff. If you've been following the news lately, 
you'll already know that these little drones have captured people's imagination. A recent Wired magazine cover story was entitled, Here Come the Drones. The AMA recently linked to a blog post where the writer discusses his concern about government-operated drones and U.S. citizens' rights under the Constitution regarding unwarranted searches and seizures. This isn't a political podcast, so I'm not going to go there, but as modelers we need to be aware of the issue. It's going to be important that we don't yield to the temptation to use these devices in a way that threatens modeling. For instance, if you use your camera carrying drone to view the condition of a roof for your construction business, you're likely violating rules about commercial use of unmanned vehicles. Again, if you or your hormone raging male kids launch the video spy to check out the cute girl next door sunbathing in her backyard, you've likely opened yourself to a lawsuit for invasion of privacy. And when the video shows up on YouTube, the claim potentially becomes very expensive. I'm not a lawyer and I'm not giving legal advice, but in my opinion, playing nice with our new technology toys is going to be very important to the future of the hobby. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Flying Field Podcast. Links to some of the products mentioned here can be found on the show notes. Look for them at www.flyingfieldblog.rcplaneviews.com. Click on the podcast category on the right side of the page. This was episode 114. Until next time, happy modeling and fly safe.